Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This episode of The Kindness Project was recorded live on Facebook during lockdown, which explains why we're probably still talking about being stuck indoors. I hope you're enjoying your time outside to the fullest, and thanks for listening to The Kindness Project. This week on The Kindness Project, we talk about strange communications, mood music, and we are joined by Nick Elston. Good morning and welcome to Friday the 24th edition of the Kindness Project Live. The 24th today. How are you? Good. Yeah, all good. I am joined by a girl who only communicates now in Spotify. That's a new one on me. Um, uh, It's Charlotte Dames. And I'm joined by a man who doesn't answer his phone calls or texts. So it has to be communicated with via strange methods. And and we're also joined by a man who's making me a little anxious by coming on a little bit late this morning. (laughs) It's Nick. How are you, mate? Yeah, morning and apologies for the communication breakdown. I wasn't aware of the rules, but no, I'm no. winging it, so we're all good. Yeah, listen, listen, it, a bit of chaotic fun yeah. on a Friday morning is all, all good, right? So, Nick, I just yeah, want to tell adds, you this. It adds to the nervous adrenaline. It takes the same energy to push us forward as to destroy us, so we're all good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, just want to tell you this story. So, I'm in the gym this morning. Okay, I've got a little home gym at the back of the house. Um, and suddenly, somebody, hi- we've got a family Spotify, and somebody hijacks my Spotify with the Beatles song, Help, right? <laughs> so so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work out who's hijacked my Spotify, and literally I'm ignoring it and carrying on training and trying to get my sort of exercise workout done, but... The more it carries on, the more the the song gets repeated. So all I've got is, help, I need somebody. And then it stops. And then, help, I need somebody. So I come down the house, right, and say, who's mucking about my Spotify? Charlotte says, me, I need your help because I can't get the software working for the, for the live podcast, right? So apparently we don't use emojis anymore. We don't use text. You don't answer your texts. You don't answer your <laughs> we, phone calls. How else am I supposed to get in contact we, with you? Yeah, yeah. So, so. See, I, I thought we were going to go into the realms of like psychic mediumship. Then I, I thought like you were receiving messages from the other side. And mate, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? That would be that would be brilliant <laughs> if we could do that. So, unofficial question of the podcast. We're doing a lot of questions of the podcast today because we've had so many answers on a couple of my, a couple of our recent ones. Um, but unofficial question of the podcast: Have you ever communicated by a song? And what sort of what? How, what did you communicate? I used to sit on the bus and I had one song specially saved on my phone just for the purpose of winding you up. Yeah. And every time I connected to the Wi-Fi and I saw you were on Spotify, so I guess that there's a there's a really strong link between music and and everyone, but but me, I guess. Being a, a stage speaker, I've got Walk On Music, which is Monster by The Automatic. Mm. What's that coming? Oh, great song. song. Yeah. Um, so, the, in terms of communicating my song, no, but that song puts me into preparation mode. <laughs> but if you, I, it's really you, weird. If I hear it away from speaking, I kind of feel like I need to do something. Yeah, so, so it's your action song, right? It's that song that yeah. sort of gets that's you... That's my kind of... That's my call to action. I'm, I'm about to go kind of song, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you listen to it before you go on, um, as well as um, that sort of as you walk on or not? 
So I'll, if it's if I've if I'm in an event where I've got no walk on music, then I'll listen to it before I go on. Yeah. So I still because it, it just it kind of has a it, it's a kickstart, isn't that it? Track. So yeah. um, if if it's being played, I know it's going to be played. I won't listen to it. There's other songs I listen to, but yeah. um, music forms a big part of managing my state, and that's managing it up, but also afterwards to avoid that crash managing it back down again by listening to kind of more chilled out tracks and what song makes you makes you cry what song makes me cry yeah I'm a big fan of country music there's a lot of country songs that makes you cry it's on about like leaving uh, losing your dog or your missus or something so there's, there's, there's when, a lot of there's a lot of sadness in country music when, but, when you yeah, say there's the, when, when, the same reason I guess I, I do what I do I love yeah. the storytelling element of country music so a yeah. lot of that can actually make me that kind of frame of mind yeah, when you say there's a country song that makes you cry, you mean all of them, right? <laughs> pretty, pretty much there's a good chunk of them, more than every, any other genre, I, I guess. Yeah. yeah. My, my one... I mean, the, oh, the, the creme de la creme of that, for me, is this... And do check it out if you ever want to kind of have a good old kind of mope to yourself, is Whiskey Lullaby uh, by Brad Paisley and Alison Krauss. Uh, oh, yeah, Alison Krauss is amazing. If you, if you really fancy a good old cry, put that on, that'll do it. Whiskey Lullaby, right? That's been, added, lullaby. that's been added to my list. My one is Daughter by Loudon Wainwright the Third. Okay. Yeah, it's, Not an, heard that. it's an amazing track. It's about family and kids and stuff like that, but it's just the, the lyrics are, it's a bit more folksy, but the, the yeah. lyrics are amazing. What song makes you cry? Charlotte? Um, don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel no emotion. <laughs> I like, um, I like, what's that song? Um, with the man who gets hit by the taxi. Oh, um, Just Jack. The, the day, day I, I died. died. Yeah, that is an amazing song. That's oh, yeah, it's a good track. Yeah, it's a good track. Yeah, yeah. It's good. a really weird question. So, so you've really framed me with that, which is good. I like being framed by questions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so it was the biscuit one last time that framed me. It was the well, that well, the big debate at the minute, and the one that we are continuing today... Um, because literally I put it out yesterday morning, uh, sorry, Wednesday, Wednesday morning, morning for Wednesday's live podcast and then realised that just people didn't stop answering. So um, the biggest debate of the minute is as trivial but clearly important to people, world's greatest ice cream. And we have got some amazing answers for that, ice creams I'd never heard of. Um, what's, what's your favourite ice cream? Well, for me, there's no no competition at all. It's it's ginger and honey. Ginger and honey sounds good, actually. Mm. That does sound really, really but good. But it has to be Cornish clotted cream in the mix somewhere with that as well. Amazing. And it, it's amazing how geographical people's answers got, right? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I am only having this vanilla from this particular shop, in, <laughs> often in Cornwall. Or in Italy, or like one of the one of the other homes of that. I think I have some gi- ginger and honey tea in the cupboard. Have you? Yeah, that's, see, that's the same. Yeah, not as not as fattening, but so that's probably better. <laughs> yeah. The um, so I think I mentioned on the podcast last time that my happy place is St Ives in Cornwall. We spend well pre-zombie apocalypse we spent about five or six holidays a year down there um there's just a place down there that does a lot of kind of really nice creamy kind of ice creams um so yeah that, that's definitely there yeah no i mean i mean cool, cool and you're not a million miles away are you are you in bristol right so i'm bristol yeah i mean it's still a good three and a half hours down but it's um it's uh yeah so, so it could be worse it could be a lot further yeah yeah um so world's greatest ice cream the saga continues um and it's almost as 
contentious as the biscuit one because Jaffa cake ice cream got bought into the mix last time. I've never heard of that. Have you? Have you? Doesn't um, sound too pleasant. No, but the actual question of the podcast, not just last time's question of the podcast, and we've got a few answers for this as well, is what was your greatest festival experience? So what do you remember from festivals, Charlotte? Uh, well, Richard Camp Festival. Yeah. Um, and we saw Ed Sheeran when he wasn't that big. you remember that? I know, I know. Yeah, that, that was amazing. I think A-Team had just come out and yeah. he just like started to... But he, st- he was still quite popular, wasn't he? Yeah, it was. You know what I remember from that festival? The bouncy castle church <gasps> that used to marry people. Yes! That was really Any- good anyone fun. Anyone could go and watch the weddings. Yeah. So, so what's yours, Nick? What's your favourite festival experience? Uh, as much as I love country music, my so my mum loves country music. My dad loves heavy metal, really right. eclectic mix. I've got yeah. so my best concert experience was uh, going to see Iron Maiden play in Newport. Um, and for Maiden fans out there, this was when Blake Bailey was the lead singer in between Bruce Dickinson's kind of uh, coming and going. Right. And um, they were kind of relaunching really un- under Blake Bailey. And it was the Prince of Wales pub just around the corner did a promotion for Bacardi Spice that night and it just launched and it was 25p a shot. Um, <laughs> and it was, should we say, just, it was a heavy night. Um, f- fuzzy memories of being in the mosh pit, just like basically bouncing around and pushing each other and stuff. It was just a crazy, crazy night. Um, um, amazing. Yeah, fun. Amazing. I don't know if it's one of my favourites, but my weirdest music experience was seeing Barry from EastEnders <laughs> at the Island nightclub in Ilford seeing Mustang Sally. It was just, it was just bizarre. When you said the weirdest music experience, I thought you were going to mention Josephine and the Artisans. Oh no, but we love Josephine <laughs> we and do, the Artisans. Yeah, you know what? It's weird. We um, Charlotte a couple of years ago, Charlotte and I went to the Hay Literary Festival, mm-hmm. and there was a there's a band that we saw over there called Josephine the Artisans and they mix opera with hip hop and it's oh, it wow. works it just hip-hop so works opera. have a look on Spotify because they're on there their album in particular the, the track that I love is Invictus yes. um, give that a, a listen because I, I don't know I what I don't know what it is about it. It just, it just maybe, so works. Maybe it was the old lady at the front dancing along. Yeah, I, you know what? <laughs> hay, hay is, hay is like if you, if you, it's proper middle class. I mean, it's just like amazingly middle class. But brilliant. Um, but brilliant. I mean, yeah, really good. Um, but the, but the weird, um, the weird thing about it is, is you just get like at Josephine in Art, Artisans, there was a seventy-two-year-old woman at the front, yeah, just, just getting just really into it. the hip hop. Yeah, it was, a, it, it was a. It was an amazing experience. So, what we want to know from you, listeners and viewers, and thanks to everybody who's who's tuning in. Um, uh, what we what we'd like to know from you is let's carry on the ice cream debate if you haven't answered already. Um, and what is your greatest festival experience? Mm-hmm. And we've got this amazing guy who who every single day supplies us with some really positive content. Uh, it's David Forsdyke, um, who and, and Dave every day, thankfully, gives us stuff to talk about, mm-hmm. uh, about what's going on optimistically out there at the minute. So um, he's uh, he calls it Dave Forsdyke Silver Linings. And, and we still yeah. haven't come up with a jingle for that, have we? No, we've been we've still tossing up between silver lines and reasons to be grateful. So <laughs> we'll, we'll go with either. Um, but the first part of news is Positive News have a crowdfunder appeal to get copies copies of the 
Positive News magazine distributed free to NOJ staff. It could be just the right dose of good news they need. And that's at www.crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash positive news dash NHS. Um, Twins in Italy have had a joyous cover played on violins. Try not to smile while you watch that. Challenge accepted. I mean, you know what? I genuinely, like your joke at the end of every podcast Thank has you been getting. No, me. no, that will come in a minute. Has been getting funnier <laughs> and funnier every single day. That's the point. Um, but. I, I, I've, I've now I've now got a shtick where I can't laugh at the joke, and you're making it harder. Can you go back to the time when the jokes were a bit more rubbish, please? Because it, it was easier I need to, to do. I my jokes out. Yeah. And then Jurgen Klopp's wife made headlines with a random act of kindness in a Liverpool supermarket, and you can find that uh, at the <laughs> Liverpool Echo. So... Um, Nick, what's the weirdest musical experience you've ever had? Weirdest musical experience, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if it's weird, um, but I, I was I'm a big country music fan. Every year, I go to London to the O2 and see the Country to Country Music Festival. Yeah, uh, there's uh, an amazing singer called Ashley McBride, and right. um, we saw her on stage the night before, and she was packed audience kind of thing. Really, kind of smashed it. And I was just walking towards to get like a this is back in my drinking days. I was getting some cocktails in okay. and just noticed her walking down the, the kind of aisle. And because she wasn't that well known then in the in country circles or, or over here, um, I just go to wait. I, I'm not usually very brave. We went up and just said, I'll come a photo taken with you and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Rare moment of bravery. And then she got very, very big afterwards. So I kind of prized that picture. Oh, amazing. It's the most surreal moment. So it's like, pride, um, it's got pride of place now, is it? He's got pride of place now, definitely. I had a similar experience with a guy called Darius Rucker. Now, for non-country fans, Darius Rucker is the leader of Hootsie and the Blowfish. He, yes. So you may recognise him more from that. Yeah. They were kind of big a couple of decades ago. Um, now, um, he was appearing in Bristol. We saw him getting out of his coach. Um playing golf back to the back to the concert venue and my mum was a huge fan literally she just ran over to him and screamed and put her arms around him um, so the weirdest moment was seeing his face to be honest <laughs> some small grey haired woman you guys have such interesting weirdest music experiences yeah well look you've got time Charlotte I mean you're only 16 so my, you know, my pre- weirdest music experience was probably at Comic Con and they were doing the anime based karaoke and one guy got up and st- on the stage and started singing the Pokemon theme song and so many people joined in from like about a two mile radius in this hall and everyone was just singing the Pokemon yeah. theme song. It's, you know what? My my ones are weird. So like that that like claims of fame thing. When I see famous people out and about, I just don't want to like, I've, I've got this thing about me that look, look, look they're normal. They're, they're, just, they're, they're just people. Just let, let them get on with their lives. And like, I just, a photo's not going to make a fundamental uh, amount of difference. But my wife <laughs> will never will never take an opportunity for granted and will, like, and, and weirdly, it's the more niche, the better, right? <laughs> so I remember 10 years ago, no, more, it must be longer than that. Twelve years ago, um, we were up in the Edinburgh Festival, the Edinburgh Comedy Festival, and because Cassie's mum and dad live in our both, it's, uh, we visit. I mean, we visit once every couple of years, um, and we love it up there. Um, and we're in a cafe, like after seeing a show, uh, eating our eat, eating our lunch, and Keith from the office. Do you remember Keith from the office, Nick? Yeah. He wasn't, funny enough, he wasn't eating a scotch egg at the time. I don't know if he just finished it. Um, but but Keith from the office was sitting literally two tables up and 
Cassie, my wife, walked over to him and went, my 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 husband loves your work. Can uh, can he have his photo done with you? So I've got my pride of place one, weirdly, is Keith from The Office. And, Char- and Cassie's, it was like, I think it was last year or the year before, Paul Sinner from The Chase, because he was up, up there doing stand-up. Yeah. So, so yeah. All, 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 another, um, another, another controversial one for you. Go on. US office, UK office. Uh, I, look, I, you know what? I'm I'm really looking forward to Afterlife coming back on Netflix today because I think, yeah, weirdly, Ricky Gervais tells amazingly human stories. You know, he's just such a he's got a such a yeah. like sort of. I loved I loved Derek as well. Derek was great. Yeah, um, yeah. You guys are talking about this, but I've seen none of these shows. Uh, <laughs> are you joking? Sorry. Sorry. Um, but- you're barred. I know. US office to UK office, the US version. I, you know what? Weirdly, I think and it U- went for longer as well. I think the US office improved over time when it found its own voice. Um, yeah, definitely. yeah, when it stopped Absolutely. being when an it imitation, it probably would have gone down. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I've, love- got, I've got a new weird moment actually. I've just I just looked up the, our page on uh, our podcast video on um, Facebook, mm. so I can now see your beautiful faces as I was speaking to you. Oh, amazing! That's Yay. good. Like <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. Right, so let, let's talk about you, Nick, instead of the weird stuff we normally have a chat about. Um, uh, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about you. Okay, so um, I'm uh, an inspirational speaker on the lived experience of mental health. Um, yes, that's a job. It's been my job since <laughs> 2016, uh, full time as a speaker. Last year, I founded a company called Forging People, which is a new breed of people development. It's a human-centered, uh, emotionally-led uh, teaching. So I run things like speaking academies to help people tell their stories, whether it's to an audience, maybe sometimes to themselves. Yep. Um, and I think there's a lot of power in, in owning our stories as opposed to our stories owning us. Yeah. And forging people uh, as a title came from a line in my talk that we either let our adversities and our challenges define us negatively for the rest of our days, or we choose to allow it to forge something better, to forge something powerful that never existed without you going through your stuff in the first place. So it's very much a what started as a passion project is very much my my career, my job, what yeah. I do. And it's interesting that sort of stories defining who we are is super powerful because as you say, sometimes the stories we tell ourselves are are govern the way we behave, even if it doesn't make us happy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the so the three things I focus on when I work with people, um, whether that be as a speaker or in terms of training, coaching stuff, is uh, looking at our or breaking down a lot of the time our conditioning, our narrative, and our perspective. And I think if we can get control over those three things, and we can create whatever we want to create with that. Um, because I, I firmly believe we have all the answers. We just don't ask ourselves the right questions. And, and if we do ask ourselves the right questions, and sometimes we're afraid of the truth. And that can be because of cultural influences or parental influences or whatever that may be, um, or just generally the way we've been brought up. You look at mental health, for example, that uh, even if I'm 42, so even at my relatively young age, um, the, I was brought up with the stiff upper lip, man up approach, as we all were. So therefore, it's no wonder, actually, there's a there's kind of a real turning point generationally and culturally now that that is starting to be talked about in a, in a proactive 
proactive way. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the attitudes, and, and one of the things that I'm grateful for is the fact that attitudes around mental health have changed uh, in recent years uh, and, and allowing people to open up. So how does your, so I know you speak, talk to me about what your presentations are typically about. Talk to me about that. Okay. So uh, usually, so my keynote seminar that I deliver, I've delivered all over the world, is uh, called Talking Anxiety, and it's um, about 15 minutes of my story is context. I think context is massive when we speak to anybody, and you guys must have that with your podcast as well. People need to get you before they get the podcast. Um, and the rest of the talk is about delivering lived experience learnings on managing anxiety in life and also in business but also education so not only do I deliver to businesses and conferences and things but I also deliver to schools universities colleges um, and even prisons now they've got prisons inquiring about bringing me in so um, and I think the power of, of lived experience and the reason why I've stayed in that niche and not become a solution provider not looking to fix people per se um, is because I think that it's a fantastic engagement tool it's a great way of increasing engagement in the well-being initiatives that are already out there i'm not looking to change anything yeah. um not exclusively but especially with men um a lot of companies will bring me in like the top law firms in, in the world have brought me in to increase engagement by 80 percent by delivering one talk mm. in the stuff they've got going on already yeah uh, and i think it is just a case of that thing where Brutal honesty, as in as in the truth, is absolutely liberating. If I tell people exactly kind of how it felt for me and what it was for me in, in my experience, is that they just feel the the trust in opening up straight back, and it can be that instant. Yeah. Um, I know, mean, I'll start delivering talks with a load of arms folded like this, um, kind of like right now, beardy boy, entertain me, and actually by delivering that kind of disarming truth arms drop straight away and people engage they're not doing this they don't want to listen they're doing this to protect themselves yeah, yeah they know that i'm talking about a subject which is sensitive to them yeah and, and and actually it's that it's that element of it's okay to tell stories where we're vulnerable and and when i know yes. when when i've seen you present that that fact that you're standing up there saying you know what it's okay not to be perfect it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to admit when you need help is all important Absolutely. right yeah. I, I think I mean, there's, there's, um, there's a talk that I deliver at the moment I've been doing virtually to, to lots of different organisations and networking groups and things and it's called Vulnerability to Bulletproof that actually the, the true kind of brain or life hack to becoming um, bulletproof in terms of uh, whether that be in a business sense or whether that be personally um, and professionally in any, in any way is to practice vulnerability daily is to get used to telling people the truth to, to not not being afraid to show the ups as well as the downs yeah. um, and actually when you practice that like anything it becomes the norm and what you find then is that vulnerability becomes a superpower so one thing that we're really afraid of we fear ridicule more than we do death it's crazy um, and that's shown out in public speaking yeah. bigger being a bigger fear than death true. Yeah. Well, we fear it, ridicule more than dying well, it's, an so it's an interesting when we practice that daily we suddenly become bulletproof that no one has anything on us yeah, there's yeah. nothing there that you don't want to show yeah, so yeah. it takes away a lot of that pressure we have on ourselves to, to mask stuff yeah and it's interesting because it, it goes back to that thing where fear is um uh, no, fear fear in our lives is going to happen it's a fact that we need to get comfortable and used to it to make sure that when it does come along we are 
we, we've got the tools to cope with it sort of thing. That's that's the key, isn't it? Talk to me. It is. Yeah. Talk. I mean, anxiety anxiety is a healthy mechanism. You need that. It's, it's your brain telling yourself as a perceived danger. You don't want to get rid of anxiety. What you do want to do is be able to manage your state when you're feeling anxious, how to, how to bring yourself kind of back down again, how to bring yourself up sometimes and putting yourself in, in charge of building your own playbook and knowing what that looks like for you. Yeah. So you talk specifically about the learned experience because of the experiences you've gone through personally. Do you think that's yeah. important to share your experiences from that perspective as opposed to from a theoretical or or sort of just, just a third-party situation? Because it's personal, isn't it? Yeah, it's personal, so it shows authenticity and vulnerability, and that engages an audience far more than a classroom approach of teaching them how to do things or to even have a medical professional or something. People think they're going to be, but essentially in life, people just they, they just want to be heard. They don't want to be fixed because they're not coming to you as a non-medical professional to be fixed. They just want to be heard. They want to feel that in a safe place, and then they'll go and find their own way forward. Yes. That being said... Morally, I also know my responsibility is the reason why I don't advise anybody in that sense. Um, and the reason I've, I actively signpost to medical professionals to, I'm a time to change mental health champion, lots of different organizations I represent, um, is because actually morally, if I'm going to raise this stuff with people, then I, I need to know what to do with that. And that's why I actively signpost. I don't profess to fix anyone, to be a solution. I am. I have done my mental health first aid training, but purely so I've got a deeper understanding of, of where people are right now in any journey. Um, the most powerful combination of events that I work at are, I've been on my panel events for the BBC, for example, where there was a medical professional, GP, psychologist, yeah. me, and somebody else or somebody else, where actually we all came from a very different kind of perspective, but our our aim and where we get to is exactly the same yeah and i think I mean, that's that's where the power is it's kind of like that for me it's also that kind of accountability that what i'm talking about isn't completely nuts it does tally up with the medical stuff as well yeah um, i mean i mean that's so that yeah. collaborative approach makes sense as well right you yeah. know just making sure yeah. that you're you're taking it from all, all angles um charlotte's got a question so uh tell us about some of the techniques you teach to support people with anxiety Okay, so some of the things that I, I think are worth highlighting is that there's um, most of the, the anxiety is created in the thought of doing something, not the doing it. And speaking is a great example of that, that we, when we stand up to speak to anybody, we kind of, we're always second guessing about how are they going to get us, they're going to like me, all those kind of things. When actually, so the fear, the anxiety is in the assumption. So the first thing I try and help people to, to not do is to assume. Uh, Mark Twain says some of the worst things in my life never actually happened. And we'll do that every day. We'll, we'll create anxiety and worry about things that are potentially are never going to happen um, because we assume a worst-case outcome, especially when you throw something like generalized anxiety disorder into the mix, which is something that, that, that's been one of my things. So I think taking away assumption is really powerful. Um, I think especially right now um, in, in kind of lockdown mode, I think boundaries, setting your boundaries is really important. So it could be setting boundaries in terms of your your workspace. So I have an office in central Bristol, but and then I have an office at home. My wife's working from home, so I've been booted out of my office. I'm now at the dining table. Um, so this is the same space that I relax in later on. So I pack everything away to make sure that I don't see it as out of mind. So actually you do get that kind of disconnection. 
that can also be boundaries in terms of, um, like I'm assuming you live with the people that you do because you love them, but however, we're now in a confined space for a long period of time, even those relationships can get tested. So actually setting your boundaries to make sure that you are still doing your own thing within that space and having that joint respect and compassion for people if they ask you the same. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing on, on that front is to say, uh, again, right now, the importance of a routine. So a routine is massive right now that um, it'd be very easy just to kind of get up, uh, kind of work in your pants and go to bed again. <laughs> the process of, I mean, there's an am- amazing video by an American naval commander uh, who did a commencement talk about the importance of making your bed. And I'll pop the link on this after we finished. Cool. Um, Thank if you, anyone mate. wants to watch that, it's amazing. But it, in a very small way, it could be as simple as getting up, getting showered, getting dressed, doing all the things that you would do in, in real life where you're going out into the world. Because then you go forward into the day with positive intent. Yeah. You go forward. And even something simple, and I put like a splash of aftershave on the other day. It wasn't going anywhere. But I felt better just feeling like I was preparing myself for something. You know what's um, weird? I, 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 I've got a, a, my, my, my aftershave is a uh, big bowl that I get from my Turkish barber. And that's, bear, bear, bear in mind, that's the first visit that I, I'm going to make after lockdown, right? Because this hair is yeah. just getting ridiculous now. Um, uh, but um, I still put it on, and Cassie looks at me and says, what are you doing? You're only in the house. Mm. But it is, it's part of that routine. And, and, and I mean, you've I've had to change some mm. of the routines um, because of lockdown. But, like, I mean, for me, it used to be the walk to work. You know, walking yeah. to work was a big one for me. But you, you've got to adapt to those mm. r- routines. But routines you are have. important, right? I read a book recently. I don't know if you've read it, Nick, called Atomic Habits. Um, I will bookmark J- that there. J- James Clear. Really good, um, really good book. And it talks about the importance of, um, particularly if you're, if, you're, um, if you're creative, the, the importance of just all the day-to-day stuff getting into a routine on so you know that it's sorted so that you can focus your energy on what's really important um really yeah. really really good really really good book um i mean on that on that level i've been so i've been getting up at six every morning still because again it'd be very easy and i think if the problem is that we, we could get very lethargic right now and actually it's important to rest and recharge at this time as well of course but the, the, for me, so I get up at six, go through my kind of little routine. That means by like half seven, eight o'clock, I've breakfasted, showered and exercised, whatever you want to do. And then I'm ready to go. And I've got that energy. You feel that energy when you're ready to go. Yeah. Um, and, and finally, on, on the great question, by the way, uh, the, on what would I work with people on anxiety-wise is recovery. Um, especially right now, um, that we all have an underlying sense of dread or anxiety to some level consistently we're, we're kind of we're watching the news we're immersing ourselves in all this kind of rubbish and assumptions and everything else um so therefore behind the scenes you will be burning a lot more energy and i'm not surprised if you and your people that tuning into this um will feel a lot more tired at the end of the day now than they would when they're going out into the world um because we're constantly on that hamster wheel right now so recovery for me is again making sure that you do have set a time aside for the stuff you love to do the stuff that recharges you to, to kind of take a step back whatever your chill out thing is just do that um, and don't sacrifice that because it'd be very easy to do all of your work stuff and then all your your kind of family stuff but where do you feature in your own life yeah you to make sure yeah. you diarize time for yourself too yeah yeah it's that it's that recovery is it do you think as a society we're better now um uh, talking about mental health 
than we were and have we still got work to do, to do and if so what okay so yeah i think that um it's certainly getting a lot better and and with better i mean proactive and there there's inspiration there there are tools there there are a lot more uh, organizations i think that's definitely better the one thing that i still struggle with and it's the reason why i don't engage with a lot of mental health conversations on twitter for example is because it be, it turns into this kind of moth pit of despair that people feel brave enough to be able to share how they're feeling but with that comes no solution or inspiration yeah. it's just better. So it becomes like a, a moth pit of despair. So unless people are picking up and responding to every tweet, which is impossible, you kind of feel like you're throwing your problems out there and no one's listening, which then compounds the problems. So I think that there's there's still a massive space for a platform to bring in um, to bring in solutions to everybody who's posting in it. The closest thing I've seen at the moment, um, apart from amazing initiatives, initiatives like yourselves, of course, um, is uh, things like Big White Wall. If you if if you haven't checked out okay, Big White haven't. Wall, I'll have a look. Um, that's that's an amazing thing where people can just pop stuff on, but it doesn't go unanswered, and it's community led. But also, they have a team of professionals behind that who can support people. Yeah. Um, so I still think there's a massive gap somewhere, um, but it's better, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because certainly, social media absolutely has positive sides and advantages but something like twitter i think uh, my experience of it is that um as part of the challenge is that it's it isn't a particularly nuanced platform <laughs> so and again that might that might be because of the people who use it including so, me that so many debates on yeah there. but but again i you know what the interesting thing about debates on twitter no i've never logged on to twitter Not and seen it seen a debate and gone you know what you've really changed my mind in that 280 characters because it, life's more complicated than that right yeah, that, and when yeah. it when it comes to mental health, I just uh, as you say, I think you need platforms that are more open to the grey as opposed to the black and white. And yeah. Twitter sometimes feels that it's uh, it's quite black and white. Um, but in t- in t- weirdly, the the strange thing is is although um, social media has its downsides, it's also can be a home for positivity, which hopefully we, we, we contribute to, and I know you do too. So, so yeah. yeah, how do you... It's an interesting question, though. How do you use social media positively? I think that... So, firstly, it's not the platforms. So, there was a, a survey that was done, I think it was by Harvard, I stand to be corrected, that between 18 and 29-year-olds, social media was the biggest anxiety trigger. However, in the same survey with the same demographic, social media was the biggest source of positive community for mental health. Interesting. Which means that it's not the platforms, it's our immersion in the platforms. And I think mm-hmm. that's why I'm very mindful of, for example, I have friends who are anti-animal cruelty, who wouldn't be, um, but their way of showcasing that is to show animal cruelty videos. And that, I can't see that stuff because that will knock me bandy for days. I can't see it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, uh, uh, that will make... So as much as I love them and I love their calls, the that's unfollowed, mm. that content's unfollowed. And I think that it's utilising the, 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 the systems in place that you can 
really kind of knuckle down to the stuff you really want to see every day. So I've got a short list of people that I follow, maybe 30 people um, that I follow who I know that are going to, that's not going to trigger me. We've all had that scrolling moment where we suddenly feel rubbish straight away because someone said something, someone's posted something. Um, so I think it's take control of your own platforms. Yeah. But I also think it's exactly what you guys are doing is, is also turn this into a force for good. Is yeah. that well, the only way to beat the negativity is to, is to, is to kind of rebel with positivity and that's what we're doing so i, I use things like well i use insta linkedin uh, twitter and um facebook um for different reasons if i'm speaking at unis and schools usually my my engagement's through instagram yeah and, and so there's a whole demographic going on within there and i've also got a youtube channel where i pump a lot of content out for it for free as well yeah i mean your 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 video on how to um cope in the current situation i know i i received an email on was amazing mate and if you're watching this video you, we'll put a link on the show notes feel free to check it out but can i just say we, i am stealing that and even at work using it for my business cards chris dames positive rebel i'm having that i'm, t- I'm taking that that is, that is an amazing turn of phrase my blessing. Oh, do you want some business cards we'll have kindness project business cards charlotte dames positive rebel how about that Fly- like that. That's really cool. <laughs> okay, we're taking that. Charlotte's got a question. Oh, I do? Oh, all right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Just pretend that I haven't written all these. Just pretend, like, go on, go on. Just okay. for a minute. So what are you currently... Stop <laughs> laughing at me. What, what are you currently talking to people about um, to support them through this situation? Okay, so again, great question. Do you know what? Most of the people at the moment I'm speaking to are people that are in a position of managing people, um, whether that be as a mental health first aider, a team manager, team leader, a carer, a parent. Um, and I think there's a massive question right now of who looks after the people that looks after people. Yeah. I think I think that's the biggest challenge right now is because actually we, the reason why we step up to be a parent, a carer, a teacher, a mental health first aider are usually because we have... Um, either experiences of that before or we have strong links to that which means naturally we make ourselves more empathic to that or we make ourselves more sensitive to that so if somebody is sharing their stuff with you we'll take on the burden of not only your stuff but their stuff as well Um, so a lot of the work I'm doing at the moment is around self-protection what we can do to to genuinely help people but also know our limits so it's kind of like managing our expectations of um, if somebody comes to me, of course I'm going to properly, actively listen. No distractions. I'll completely listen to somebody. But, and then I'll actively signpost them, but it's not taking that on ourselves. And I think, especially maybe for what you guys do as well, you, you, will, you will have communication with some people that need that in their lives because they have a struggle or adversity right now. You need to protect yourselves, otherwise you will carry that burden as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, one, it's, so one... it's kind of a flaw, another human flaw, that it's the people that step up that actually will have the, the, the biggest challenges ahead, especially in the foreseeable future. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because we speak about this quite a lot mm. and I think it's always important to make sure you, you're you kind to yourself first so you can serve others more, right? Because it, yeah. it, the, the reality is that sometimes, I, I'm guilty of this, I put barriers up just for my own self-protection so I can help more, but... If yeah. I don't, if I don't, then I'm in a position where I, 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 I'm not as effective. Do you know what I mean? And it's getting that, it's a tightrope balance of making sure you're okay, but also making sure yeah. that you can help other people. And I, 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 
honestly, I don't think I've ever got it right, but just trying to get better at mm. that is, is the key, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think this is why it all comes down to self-improvement and self-awareness and self-care. The problem is, and like I said, I speak all over the world on this stuff, the problem we've got is that in the UK, we think those things are selfish, so we don't do them. We'll prioritise other people. And it's like the old airplane adage, we've all heard that, that we put our oxygen mask on first yeah. so that we're strong enough to help other people. Mm. But we're the first to let that go. And also we give away the choice element that we, we forget we have a choice in everything we do and everything we say. Yeah. We cannot control, basically we cannot control the uncontrollable, but what we can do is choose how we react. Yeah. That's, the, that's, that's the choice that we have is... If something hits us, right, we decide how strong we go back at that. We yeah. decide what we do. We, we decide every reaction that we offer. And that's the only true choice we have. Yeah. So self-awareness, self-care uh, and self-protection should be high on the agenda of stuff that you practice daily. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I found this a few years ago, but I like Stoic philosophy and the teachings of Stoic uh, mm. uh, um, Stoicism. And certainly The Obstacle is, is the Way that is a book that I pick up quite a lot because it just teaches you just only worry about the stuff that you can actually control. Like most of the news, we've got no impact over. But what we can control is what we deliver to the world, what we do in our own lives and the decisions we make. And even though you might have an influence over other people um charlotte's yeah. nodding because she's heard this a million times before um even though you've got an influence over other people the control element is, is only on on the stuff that that you do um i know you talk a lot about sort of unveiling the mask like taking that mask of um yeah. we we all wear um off how do we Number one, why should people be more authentic? And I know that should be an obvious question, but but why should people be more authentic? I think authenticity is is, is key to, to self awareness. I think that uh, maybe you should ask yourself when the, when there's no one around, when there's no one looking, um, when you're in a situation which is just neutral, ask yourself like. But who am I when no one's looking? Like, so we have nothing right to play up to, nothing to live up to. Start to ask yourself those kind of questions. What you'll find is a lot of the time that will contradict with the us that's going out there in different situations. Yeah. So it's not just having one mask. It's having a mask for, I would go to networking events and pretend to be like happy and strong and confident and go and collapse somewhere in the corner afterwards. I would have a different mask of being at home with my friends, my family. Because essentially what we try and do is we try and be what people want to see in us. We try and be what situations demand of us, but we sure don't damn show ourselves. Yeah, That's okay if you're okay with that. But for me, okay wasn't good enough anymore, and that's why I decided to, to start to share this stuff, is because I'd lost hope. I'd become very frustrated, um, but also I lost hope of something better. And I think the worst thing about being in that place is the fact that you... To cut off feeling hate, you cut off feeling love, and to cut off feeling bad, you cut off feeling good. So actually, the worst thing is you don't feel anything. And I, I think that's more of a dangerous position to be in than feeling pain. Weirdly. Yeah. And it's the same reason why you'll see people in toxic relationships or maybe in jobs that they don't like. It's because um, it's easier to stay in a position of pain and frustration than it is to do something about it. It's strange. It's another comfort zone, but our best future lies outside of our comfort zone. But I'm continue, even now, I'm continually doing that. Yeah. It's, I'm now moving to doing some stuff in the US. And for me, I'm absolutely anxious about that because it's just not something I envisage. But I'm saying yes, I'm worrying about it later. Um, but it's interesting that everything that's happened to me that's been brilliant and exciting has happened by mistake. Okay. So I, 
I think that's where authenticity lies. If we start to show the world your true self, and by the way, if you don't, if you don't show the world your true self, and how does a how does the world know how to help you? How do people yeah. know how to help you? Yeah. And because by default, if you're not living a life on your terms, you're living a life on somebody else's terms by default. And I think the thought of that scares me enough to keep that as a real motivator. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I always, I always uh, don't want to get too morbid on a Friday morning, but I always think about, I always think about death quite a lot. You know, memento mori. So it's like, what do I want to be remembered for? Do you know what I mean? Do I remember, remember that one day you shall die and make the most of it? Yeah, it's true, true. And it's that, it's that, it's, it's that like driver where you go, you know what? Yeah, and and, and weirdly, when I've shown, and you know, you know what? I had little, my mum passed away last year, so I, I lost my mum a. Year year ago um uh, uh was it yesterday or the day before day, day before, before. so we had um a nice cup of tea and a cream cake and i thought you know i'm gonna write a just hundred word piece and i was like, literally crying my eyes out writing down how i felt about it and i went to charlotte um and i said look i want to show you this and she said to me i'm gonna start crying now she said to me um whatever you write it's good enough and that made me cry even more um so i was like but, uh, yeah, but, but you know you know what but you know what it's interesting because i think it took in my twin i mean I'm, I'm the same age as you i'm 42 but in my 20s and 30s i don't think i would have been comfortable enough with myself to actually do that do you reckon maturity comes into it do you reckon do you reckon it like when you're a bit older it, it takes a while to get to that point yeah i, I think it's it, age definitely comes into the mix i think that there's <laughs> in two ways really I think firstly you've got more experience life experience so therefore you can make a more a more rounded call on most things yeah. based on your experiences or experiences of others the second part which is more the kind of the bloody minded element of this is the fact that you kind of you're more prepared to put yourself out there because that that sensitivity is decreased even with with myself being highly sensitive that was decreased a little or enough to start to kind of put myself out there so I think you do get that. The older you get, the more kind of the more prepared just to stand by your own decisions. Mainly because because it's your conditioning. Your conditioning has kept you that way, and that's the reason why it's important to start to question our our conditioning too. Um, so I believe that everything in our lives should be open to questioning. Yeah. Um, we should we should be able to stand up to our own pulling and poking a part of, our, of what we do and the decisions we make and the people we're with and we should choose to have things and people in our lives as opposed to just assume that's always going to be that way and, um, and the interesting thing is as, as well is as you know i run a financial planning business like but i'm not yeah. defined by my job do you know what i mean my job is yeah. just one aspect of my life that 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 thankfully people want to pay me for but it doesn't yeah. define me as an individual and it's weird when we started this this like journey through exploring what kindness meant a couple of people said to me what are you doing i was like it fascinates me so why wouldn't i do it you know it's a weird one it's a weird one mate it's it's like i said the the, the whole so with the speaking academies i run um when we look at people that want to represent a business or an industry but actually the, the best way to to represent your business is to wrap your character, your personality, your stories around your offering, your product. Hundred percent. That makes you absolutely unique. There's nobody quite like you doing what you do anywhere. And actually, 
that position of being unique is, is rare. Yeah. Um, so also it makes you kind of bulletproof because you've you've intertwined your story and the business so much that they get you as a complete package. Yeah, we, now, we, we, I know so many financial advisors, but what you do keeps you front of mind. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. because you've got a passion project that you talk about, you're open about sharing your stuff. So actually for me, I've tuned right into you. And I could say that about any person that stands up and talks about their stuff wrapped around their story. Yeah, agreed. We, you call it unique, we just call it weird. But whatever floats your boat, Nick. Do you know what I mean? I'm, 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 I'm happy. <laughs> what, you, you call it unique, we call it a James family trait. We call it quirky, the Dames family quirk. Um, um, but you know, you know what so you, you're, talking, you're talking to a guy that did a virtual keynote at a weird and wonderful conference the other night. Oh, amazing. That exists? Can how, we go to that, one? No, can we? Can we? How did that go? <laughs> it was great. It was yeah. full of um, psychics and like witches and uh, yeah, loads of, it was a really kind of surreal experience, but it was fantastic. A virtual weird and wonderful conference. Are you I up know, for that? I know a few witches. <laughs> this, this is new news. Wait, sorry, what, you know, what witches do you know? T- tell us about this witch. <laughs> tell, well, tell me. Tell I won't me. be able to stop laughing. Okay, okay. We will get the. Uh, at some point in the future, we will hear the. We will hear the witch story. Right now. I can introduce you to plenty of them. You're fine. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you've now got a community of witches. Really, you know, you know when you start a podcast and you go, I think it might just generally it'll be a good chat, but it will generally go in this direction. Witches wasn't the route that I was I was thinking about, but it is it is absolutely amazing. So thank you for that. Can you just um can you just let us know a little bit about your um speaking academy and why it's different to a lot of other speaking academies? Sure. So thank you. And so the speaking academies that I run, um, I've run them in person since the start of last year. Yeah. Um, obviously, I was doing that uh, right up until pre-zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Um, so I've now shifted it online. Um, now the speaking academy is is not presentation skills so much. It's not something like Toastmasters and everything has its place. That's not me. So my speaking academy is based on emotional storytelling okay it's uh, bringing out the vulnerability and authenticity in people in a safe environment so we do a lot of work around practicing how we stand when we deliver sadness when we deliver anger when we deliver love um and the combination of those things are really really powerful some people come as a therapy some people come to want to build a keynote or a ted talk or whatever they want to do yeah. um but emotional storytelling is it's a true way to connect to anybody with a lot more power but actually you're connecting your tribe people that really buy into you culturally yeah but also understanding that the more you go down that route you'll also not appeal to some people too so we've got to get good at that as well yeah and and that's fine isn't it do you know what I mean? It's some some yeah. people get it, some people won't, and that you, you don't. I think that's part of that journey towards authenticity that you you just can't and shouldn't please any everybody all of the time. It's impossible. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so that's that's the main drive. Uh, the other element of the speaking academy, what I do is I help people to go pro as a speaker. So when I went uh, left employment, the Safe Shores of Employment in 2016. I had no business. It was didn't exist at the time. Uh, the forging people stuff. So um, 
I had to commercialize my speaking very quickly. So I got very good at building a business around speaking. I see a lot of people that are fantastic speakers, but don't know how to find their audience. Okay. So I, I help them find an audience, GoPro as well. So there is that element to what I do too. But it all starts with being honest with ourselves. Uh, it all starts with having the courage to share what we need to share. We know what we need to share, but we, we choose not to a lot of the time. Yeah, it's that fear factor again, isn't it? And just, it is just breaking that barrier. Yeah, yeah. And 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 your, I suppose your speaking academies are also a support environment for people to to become more authentic, right? Yes, I have always have a well-being professional in the room to because the the way I deliver the the, the day event and online, it's a four-hour event split into a few sections. But um, in terms of the day event, that we go very deep, very quickly, intentionally, because whilst we've all got the the, the morning energy, um, and then I've got a well-being professional that does a lot of chill-out stuff to get people state back to normal again, yeah. and then we go on to the rest of the day. Um, because I'm very conscious that if I, again, if I'm creating that space where people potentially could go really, really deep and emotional, that I need to have somebody to catch them when they get there. Um, yep. So it's, it's a properly structured event. Amazing. Um, in that sense. Amazing. But it's very, it's like me, very informal. Uh, it's very powerful. It's more like personal development, really, than it is speaking. But the aim is to, is to deliver your story to an audience. Amazing. Thank you. Where can, uh, where can people find out a bit more about you? Okay, so you can find out more about me at nickelston.com. Again, I'll pop the, the link in the chat in a second. Yeah. Um, but also, you can find me for the business stuff at forgingpeople.com. Um, so, yes, that's where you can find me. All of my social links are through there as well. Um, and also, you can email me through the website as well. Lovely, amazing. Um, what what I want to do, stick around, Nick, because we want to just share some, some stuff from our uh, community and audience. another podcast but the end's never really the end because the end is just us talking about uh, answers we've got from last week's or last uh, when was it like tuesday's question in the podcast wednesday um world's i want to carry on with world's greatest ice cream before we get on to festivals um stracciatella paired with a sorbery sorbet and a waffle cone now just the italianness of that answer i like do you know what i mean it's got a uh, a feel. Uh, mint choc chip. Jimbo on Twitter said mint choc chip next. Mm. Like there's no argument. Like mint choc chip's got to be the only answer. Sarah Benwell said uh, one scoop stracciatella, one scoop salted caramel. Um, ENL said rum and raisin. Now the big debate on the last the last podcast was. Is rum and raisin the work uh, we we worked out that rum and raisin is like the marmite of ice cream? Mm-hmm. If you love it or you hate it, what's your take on rum and raisin, Nick? Rum and raisin, uh, <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Uh, right, yeah. I, I, so, so you are the only one we've had who hasn't had a massively strong opinion. It, it's been a it's been a love or hate. Um, uh, Planner Girl said cappuccino chip, but you can't find it anymore. New fu- Right. What are you doing showing me that? I, 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 Cassie from outside the screen. What, what's your, what's your stand on Marmite, Nick? It's mine. Marmite. Love Marmite. 
Right. How about this? And I don't know if you can see this on your screen. Cassie's, Cassie's just come back from the shop and she's got yes. this. Marmite peanut butter. It's fine. What oh, wow. What are we thinking about that? two of my favourite things. Well, I, li- I like peanut butter Marmite not so much. So, uh, Heather Hopkins mm. gave us... Um, Baccio hazelnut chocolate gelato, yum. Um, uh, Cusel likes rum and raisin. We've got a couple of votes for rum and raisin. But my favourite is from Mr Keith Boys, who says, strawberry, pop in a bit of iron brew sorbet Ooh, while you're there. Yes, iron now, brew. I'd never, wow. I'd never heard of an iron brew sorbet. So that, no. that, that's... Um, to that's, be fair, that, sang, that sounds decent. Yeah, no, that's Love a good. good iron brew. Yeah, um, and then we've got, <laughs> and then we've got Sarah with pistachio, Margaret with rum and raisin, Mandy with lemon, Andy Fanoe with vanilla, Francis with uh, Ben and Jerry's fish food. A couple of votes for that. Kamal with mint chop chip, uh, Samantha with rum and raisin. David, oh, David Crows is good. Has got a good one. Honeycomb. Mm. Oh yes, please. Julie, with, Julie with raspberry ripple. David with mint chop chip. Carol with Neapolitan, Archie with rum and raisin, Keith Boyton with pistachio, Steve Thompson with mint chop chip, and Joshua Cartwright with salted caramel. And it goes on and on and on. <laughs> oh, Alison oh, Williams. Oh, uh, Alison Williams said salted caramel. Sam Willis, thank you. Margaret Nash, Nick Tamsin, Deborah Meyer said salted fruity. Sharon Atkins said pistachio. That has been out and, and bear in mind that's only about yesterday's question that's only yesterday's <laughs> no, answer no, yesterday's to that Wednesday's. that's only yesterday's answer Wednesday. to that this is officially world's greatest ice cream has officially beaten our last it, it'd be world's greatest muppet yeah world's greatest muppet what's your favorite muppet was the <gasps> most popular question before um, clearly people care more about ice creams than muppets what is the world i'm sure i've asked you this before nick but for the benefit of our live audience what's the yeah. world's best muppet world's best muppet animal right answer um i don't agree with you moving on to uh, the actual question of the podcast today because we've had a few answers for that um francis barrett said uh so many great festival experiences we go to rewind festival in henley every year um and one of my favorite memories is is when jason donovan came on and we all did the peter k dance to too many broken arts as if we'd practiced it at home i'm trying to look for the peter k version but we crack it out there at every um social event louise matt me who lives in jersey said legends on the park in jersey small but fantastic jade foster jarrett said meeting friendly fires at reading festival and they had a flirt with me in front of my husband witnessing queen come out on stage during the my chemical romance Set mm. and watching. Oh, that that was another one. I remember going to William Camp Festival again. Um, uh, Mark Ronson bought the Zootons out and did Valerie. That was a that was a good experience. Um, Jade said, "Oh, and seeing Bruce Forsyth performing the Sunshine at Hop Farm Festival. We also went to see Bob <laughs> Dylan, but it was a bit more like Boar Fest." Uh, David Dennison said, uh, "Reading 2004, seeing seeing Funeral for a Friend and Green Day. Also seeing Stars." sailor at Brixton Academy um, uh, John Cook said I am not putting any of my best f- festival experiences on any social media at all so he's keeping them to himself <laughs> Catherine Noel said Leeds Festival Food Fighters headlining we were at the top of the Ferris wheel during the final song and they stopped the wheel pitch black 
centre stage, fireworks blasting off, amazing. I love that. And Chris, at your friend of mine, Nick, Chris Buzz, said, yeah. but he started with, I don't think I could share this publicly, and then he shared it public, publicly. <laughs> I, did, I, was at, I, was at, I was at a festival once, and I met a clown behind the circus tent at Glastonbury. <laughs> He drove out in his clown car, having just done a show, showed us there at work with the doors and wheels falling off. I've never wanted to ever go at a clown car as much in the world. Um, so thank you, Chris, for sharing that story. Um, that, I mean, like, just I, I thank you again to all of the amazing guests that contribute every single day. Um, you always make us laugh and, and, and certainly make us have your stories um uh so thank you for that now i i clearly um i'm i need to be impressed nick's waiting to be impressed by your joke of the day (laughs) we'll see i i'm I'm literally waiting with basic breath take it away (laughs) how much room is needed for fungi to grow fungi Mm -hmm. don't know as much room as possible (laughs) <laughs> I told you it was going to be terrible. <laughs> wow. 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 Partridge on that bombshell. Wow is the only word to describe that. And on that note, thanks for watching another Kindness Project. Don't forget the outro. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.